This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Equity mates, here we are for episode 20. Uh, we're bringing you a podcast where we discuss all things investing, try and break it down to make it easy for you guys. Uh, as always, I'm here with my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I am very good, Bryce. Uh, I can't believe we made it to episode 20, to be honest. I know, what a milestone. Pretty yeah. It's been, to, it's been fun. To the next 20, I guess. To the next 20. Uh, onwards and upwards. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> So, we're here to do a a Basics 101 uh, episode. We haven't done one for a while, so we thought it would be a good opportunity uh, after having a few interviews over the last couple of episodes for us to get back into the basics and the reason that we kind of started this podcast and we're going to go through a number of, I don't know, jargon words or acronyms that you would often hear um, in the media or on balance sheets or, you know, in, in investment and financial chat. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is, these are the kind of terms that scare ordinary people away, you know, like things that people who haven't studied finance don't understand. And so never try to start investing, but really, you know, once you dig a little deeper they're they're not too hard to understand. No, nothing scaring, scary about them. So we'll break them down for you and, and uh, tear them apart. So hopefully it will help you make some informed decisions uh, with your investing. Yeah. Well, maybe we should give a plug to some of the things that we're doing outside of the podcast. Yeah, good idea. So we've now officially become YouTube <laughs> channel. Yeah, well, that's official. <laughs> we're, we, can't, we can't put ads on there yet. We need 10,000 views, so and how get many watching do we everyone. Have? <laughs> what, 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 are we, what are we at, seven? Uh, last time I checked, yeah, seven. And I think three of them were me, so... <laughs> yeah, so just letting everyone know we're now on YouTube. It's just another channel for us to get our podcast out there um if you're at work or whatever you want to throw it on in the background it's another way you can do it um so let everyone know and also we've started a weekly email called the equity mates thought starters and this is something that we're going to be sending out every monday and it's just a a way that we're going to be giving you guys some information about what we have found interesting during the week and it's to help you guys 
understand where we look for information and what sort of stuff we like to frame in yeah. our investing decisions. So do you want to give a bit of a rundown of what that includes, well, Ren? Or? Yeah. So, I mean, the most common question we get here is where do you guys find your information? Yeah. And that that is the same question that I had when I started investing. Um, there is so much information out there with the internet and everything these days, but it's really hard to know where to look. So what, what we're trying to do with Equity Mates Thought Starters is send five links uh, to your inbox every Monday that just give you an idea of some of the different resources that are out there and where you can find them. Yeah. So, so for example, uh, the first, uh, first Equity Mates Thought Starters went out last Monday and some of the things included um, a company's annual report, some financial news articles and some advice from a major bank. So, you know, like that's some of the areas where um, you can you can get information. Some of the ones we've got in store this Monday. Don't we'll give it away. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone they needs to sign, sign up. up. Yeah, so, so how, to, how do you sign up? How do you get to this sign, email? To sign up, uh, you can jump on our Facebook page um, and there's a sign up button. It will take you to... Uh, sign up form or all you need to put in is your email address really you can give us your name as well if you like but feel free to you know make up a fake name if you want to remain anonymous <laughs> and you can um, also do it through our website can't you yes yes yeah, yeah, yeah i'm really excited about this i think it's a good way for us to put out a few things that we might otherwise forget or don't have time to do through the podcast so i see this as an evolving thing as well some videos and all that sort of jazz so i think it's gonna yeah. be great sign up It'll be good. Yeah. Sign up, <laughs> like, subscribe, um, yeah. rate, comment, review. So I also, very briefly, we're going to bring back as well, we haven't done for a while, the stock of the week. We're going to bring it in a different format. So we'll discuss that later on when we get to it. But let's kick straight into what have we learned this week, Ren? All right. So uh, what I was going to do this week is talk about the end of quantitative easing. Now, that's something that you guys might have heard about, you might have read about, or you might have no idea what that is. Oh. I, at the last minute, I've decided to change, but I'm going to include a good explainer on quantitative easing in the Equity Mates Thought Starters email. So if that's piqued your interest and you want to learn a little bit more, make sure you sign up. Yeah, very interesting have... and very topical at the moment. Yeah, very topical. Yeah. But the reason I changed was last night I was reading an article... And I was, I was blown away, let's say. Oh, wow. So, so the biggest bank in America, J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, many people would have heard of. They have a balance sheet that is the size of one-eighth of the American economy. So, so they're a big bank. Um, and as with most big American banks, they were uh, acting fraudulently in 2008. And they, I mean, there was a bunch of stuff. They, there was a lot of fraudulent loans and, you know, everyone knows what happened in 2008. The housing market collapsed because of the actions of these big banks um, and everyone suffered the consequences. Well, in the aftermath of the 2008 housing crisis, mm-hmm. JPMorgan Chase agreed on t- to two separate settlements with the, the Department of Justice in America. Yeah. Um, and it's just come out that in paying these billions of dollars in settlements, rather than paying in cash, JP Morgan has actually paid in more fraudulent loans. What? <laughs> yeah. 
I know. <laughs> they are actually just taking the piss at this point. So, so they're so, offloading just a whole heap of junk. Well, no, it's even worse than that. So, in the aftermath of 2008, they tried to get all these terrible loans off their books. So what they did was they sold them for pennies on the dollar to other companies and other you know, mortgage brokers, other investors, um, who then work with these people to restructure their loans. And, and yeah, like there's a whole industry in, in this, but that's not important for this story. What's important is JP Morgan Chase sold all of these loans and then in their settlements with the US government, they agreed rather than paying cash, what they would do is forgive loans to the value of the settlement. But okay. rather, than, rather than forgiving loans that were on their books, what they did was they forgave the loans that they had already sold to other investors and then claimed to the government that, that they had written them off their books. And so this, is, this has been going on for years and years and years. And it's only it's just broken recently that they've done this. Um, and the, the only reason it was, has broken is one of the people who whose mortgage they sold and then tried to write off as um, one of their own, lived next door to the Speaker of the Maryland Parliament, which is Maryland's estate in America. And so she spoke to her neighbour and the Parliament investigated it that way. You're kidding. But if if that coincidence hadn't occurred, they would have got away scot-free. Yeah. So... So the question in my mind is what's actually going to happen though because it always turns out that in these situations the big banks just get away with anything and they know yeah. it as well. So yeah. I'm interested to see what happens. Well, I mean, it's it's Trump's Department of Justice now and no one uh, expects Sesh, Jeff Sessions to go after these big banks. But in saying that, like Obama's Department of Justice was weak with these banks. You know, like... I mean, this, this J.P. Morgan settlement in the first place and the fact that they allowed them to get away with paying with these fraudulent loans that they had already sold and made money off. Or, I mean, my biggest bugbear is in 2011, the largest money laundering case ever in history was brought against HSBC. Yeah. HSBC admitted that they had acted illegally. Yeah. And yet, and they they, the no, one, the yeah, no one went to jail. Yeah. They paid a fine. Yeah, a fine, you know, not, uh, it wasn't even a fine. It was a couple of dollars in change. Yeah, for them. Yeah, for them. Yeah, yeah. It, it was literally, you know, if you and I start embezzling money or start trying to launder, you know, a few hundred dollars, we we could go to jail. But yeah. HSBC launder billions of dollars, and it was for yeah. you know, it was for like the Iranian regime who was under sanctions, yeah. and for like drug cartels. Like it was. It was serious money laundering. Mate, Centrelink came down on me a couple of days ago from from a mispayment in 2015. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let it go. Go after the banks. If you were a big bank, you could negotiate out of that. Oh, I'd be giving junk junk loans back for sure. Yeah. So, look, the the story here, there's a lot more to it. Uh, To give another plug to Equity Mate Thought Starters, I'm going to put the whole article that broke this whole story in the email so you can read all about it tomorrow morning yeah tomorrow morning when you're listening to this podcast and just to give you one little teaser to add to this whole story there's a bizarre twist in here and the church of scientology is actually complicit with jp morgan chase in this fraudulent mortgage payment scheme really so that's a little teaser for all of you out there (laughs) i'm not surprised 
Dodgy church. Yeah, I know. Dodgy bank, dodgy church. Yeah. Interesting. Well, nice one, Ren. That was interesting. And oh, I just hate hearing things like that as well. It makes I know. me pretty yeah. angry, to be honest. Like, it's, it, it's, it, like, it's it gives all this credence to when people say, you know, markets are corrupt or there's a two-tier justice system in America. Yeah. Like, I, I fundamentally disagree that markets are corrupt. I think it's pretty obvious that American justice system has some work to do. Yes. But, you know, this is they, these are the things that just, just make joke. people lose faith in the system. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Great. Well, my thing that I learned this week, and this may be old news, but I just stumbled across it uh, doing some reading. And I'm sure as a well-read man that you are, Ren, that you know about this, but it's China's Silk Road. And it's called the One Belt, One Road mm. development. Yeah. And I just found this really interesting. As I said, I, I, I wasn't aware that this was going on. So just in brief, essentially the One Belt, One Road is a massive worldwide infrastructure project that the Chinese are essentially funding and pushing. It involves, I think, up to about 65 countries in total um, and, you know, the total population reach of all these countries is about 4 billion because what they're doing is building a whole heap of roads, railways, ports, and then also maritime routes um, through these old trade corridors that used to be in existence in areas through China and Russia and up through the Middle East into Europe. Yeah. So what I found interesting about this, and I'm sort of thinking in investing, you know, back to Australia, um, how, how can it affect what's going on here? And obviously there's going to be a huge, there is huge demand or, and will continue to be huge demand for obviously our iron ore and natural resources to, fund, to get steel and whatnot to actually fund and build, sorry, not fund, but build these, um, this project. So Already to date, they have $1.3 trillion worth of projects initiated. So in development as we speak in Africa as well. And yeah, as I said, major central parts of um, Central Asia. So I th there's a few, well, two things is, you know, Beijing has their finger in a lot of pies now across the world. And, and if you're to look down the future and say 30 or 40 years when this will be well in, into existence and and fully up and running, you know, they're going to have control of a lot of, you know, infrastructure around the world. But uh, I just thought it was a, a fascinating project that's underway with trillions and trillions of dollars going to be spent. Um, and it also presents a great opportunity for Australia, not only in terms of, you know, currently what we can give them in terms of natural resources and all that to support the infrastructure, but also once it's complete, it's also going to open up trade better trade opportunities for us as well up through asia and into into europe so i'm not yeah. sure if you're aware of that ren but um yeah i, I found it fascinating huge yeah, it, huge it, dollars it is fascinating and it's it's a fascinating look at china's expanding sort of soft economic power yeah yeah so you look at you look at some of the countries that it's partnering with and you know how it's trying to get up into europe and it broaden that trade relationship it um it, it definitely represents a shift in the sort of economic center of the world, I guess. Definitely, definitely. And you could sort of, you know, after World War II, the US instituted the Marshall Plan, which just invested 
billions of dollars throughout Europe and yep. um, re rebuilt the world after World War II, essentially. And it made America the economic, so, the economic focus of the world, essentially, after World War II. You could see this investment as something similar to similar for China. They're trying to, you know, broaden their trade relationships basically with the whole world yeah. through these these investments and essentially with the the aim of making them the the economic the focus of the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you'll right. notice if you if you look at a map of um, the one road or what it's one belt one road. One belt one. Yeah. Yeah, um, you'll see that basically it touches everywhere in the world except the Americas, except yeah, North yeah. and South America. Yeah, definitely. And don't and don't think that's an accident. Like, no. you know, it's not it's not just they're doing an overland route into Europe. It's a bunch of ports everywhere through the South China Sea, through Asia, yeah. through, into Africa. Yeah, but nothing in the Americas. See you later, America. Yeah. So. No, I agree. And that's what I was saying in 30 or 40 years when this is in full operation, like these guys are going to, well, they're going to own so much of it because they're funding all this as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's, um... phenomenal. All right. Well, those are two good things that we've learned this week. They're now a little bit smarter than we were before. Well, not necessarily yeah. smarter, but you know. I gotta say, I gotta say, I um, I miss the days when we were just talking about Netflix recommendations. On <laughs> True, <laughs> I've been too busy reading about One Belt One Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is probably more valuable for our listeners. So I think oh, we're, we're getting better at this. I do have a good Netflix recommendation, but I'll save it for next episode. Oh no, come on! <laughs> no, uh, no, like, no. Save it for save Teaser. it for the end of this episode. So All people right. ha people have to listen for the whole for the whole episode. <laughs> I'm sure they're hanging out tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. I'm going to call this little segment Pardon the Jargon. And mm, as we said I before, like Ren, that these are, this is probably a segment that we will continuously do down the track because there's so much jargon out there that is worth explaining because the jargon is worthwhile and it's worth knowing and understanding. But as, as you mentioned, Ren, it's a, often these sort of words and acronyms and phrases that deter people and throw them off. So, pardon the jargon, we're going to look at five uh, acronyms or, or ways of uh, valuing companies, ratios, um, and explain five, them. Five pieces of jargon. Let's five just... pieces of jargon. Yeah, yeah. So, as a bit of a caveat, each of uh, these ratios, jargon, whatever we want to call them, uh, definitely needs to be considered in the context of the company um, because there's no golden number that can be applied to each of these because all companies operate differently. You know, one company may need huge levels of debt to operate and while the same level of debt may destroy another company. So that will relate to, for example, the debt to equity ratio that we'll discuss later. But the main lesson that we want you guys to get from this segment is just to get an understanding of the fundamentals behind a lot of these metrics that we're going to talk about so that you can start to apply them in your, um, your own thinking. Uh, and these metrics, as Ren mentioned, are widely used across the industry uh, on balance sheets, annual reports, that sort of stuff by investors and well, everyone in the industry essentially. So we're going to put emphasis on, as we said, five. So let's get stuck yeah. in. Yeah. Do you want to kick us off? Sure. So the first one is called EBIT and uh, it's something that you'll find on a balance sheet when they're reporting their income. So it's an acronym, E-B-I-T-D-A is the 
the, the bigger version, EBITDA. Is that how you say it? EBITDA. Yeah, EBITDA. <laughs> EBITDA. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll, yeah, you'll see this in capital letters, E-B-I-T-D-A. And essentially, it stands for Earnings Before Interest, Taxes, Depreciation, and Amortization. And it's just a long-winded way of saying this is what we have earned as a whole before taking out any sort of expenses, taxes, as it says in the, in the uh, acronym, interest, etc. And it gives us an idea of the financial performance of the company. So a lot of uh, investors will look at this to understand the traje- trajectory of, of a company before expenses are taken out. So, so maybe the best way to conceptualize it is to understand what isn't taken out. So if you think about your normal company that, you know, makes something and sells it, the, this EBITDA is, you know, the amount of uh, revenue they make from selling their good. And then it includes, you know, the cost of staff, the cost of their buildings, the cost of the raw material, the cost of manufacturing. But then it doesn't include these additional costs of interest payments on debt, on of taxes and then of depreciating and amortizing their assets. Yeah. And yeah. A- just briefly, amortization is a routine decrease in the value of an intangible asset or essentially it means paying off debt over time through regular payments. So not worth going into, but that's just what it stands for. So yeah, it's essentially just shows the f- if the fundamental of the business selling goods, this is what it's making. So You'll have this on the balance sheet and then it's broken down to EBIT, E-B-I-T, which is earnings before interest and taxes. So if you're looking at a balance sheet, you'll see EBIT first, then they'll take off depreciation and amortization expenses. Then you'll come to EBIT, which is net income, interest, taxes, as I said, and it's a measure of a firm's profit. And then... Once you then take out interest and taxes, you will essentially land at net profit. Um, yeah. And when you is, say when you say take out, you mean include in the in what they're deducting. That's right. Yeah. 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 And so you'll then hit net profit. So not much to really. I just wanted to give a broad definition of what these are and to actually say what they mean. You'll see it on the profitability part of your um, balance sheet, but it's a, just a good indication essentially of a firm's profitability so yeah so yeah in in a nutshell all three metrics try to measure a firm's profitability net profit is like actually how much profit they made in that year and then some investors like ebit and ebitda because they think taking out those um line lines of expenses gives a more accurate understanding of how the company's actually going yeah but you know because like Taxes are something that's imposed by the government. They actually aren't reflective of the underlying business performance. Yes. Same as like interest payments on debt or the depreciation of assets. That doesn't actually reflect the underlying performance of the business itself. They're just sort of statutory. Got to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, just, just be careful of that because depending on what metric you're looking at, you're going to see different numbers for profitability. Yes. Yes, yeah. and this is where the company can likes to sort of fluff their feathers a bit. Yeah, with these with these ones. All right, moving on, Ren, you've got one for us. Yeah. So fo- following on from that, so that's a different ways of looking at a company's total profitability. Uh, one that you'll see all the time is EPS, 
Now that stands for earnings per share. And so what, what that is, is you take the company's net profit and then if, if a company pays preferred dividends, you have to take that out. But don't worry about that for, for the just general purposes. Yeah. Earnings per share, you take a company's net profit and you divide it by the total number of shares. Now Seems this is a really straightforward. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's a really useful metric when you're trying to compare the price that you pay for a share to how many earnings that you know you as the business owner of that share of the company um, earned. So, are, so you, are you saying that, are we talking a dollar figure here or a percentage? Are you talking a dollar figure here? Okay. So, let, let's, by way of an example, let's say company A has 100 shares and made a net profit of $1,000 this year. So, you take the $1,000 net profit figure and you divide it by 100 shares. That means each share ha- is worth $10 of those total earnings. Okay. So, and then you can look at the share price and say, as an investor, what am I willing to pay for that $10 worth of earnings? So, you know, if the share price is $1 and the company has earnings per share of $10, Bargain. then that's, that's great. That's, yeah. that's unbelievable. I'll you take know, that any day. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, if the share price is $150 for $10 a share, then maybe you start to think, I might really like the company but it's got to grow its earnings a lot to, to be good value for me. Mm. So um, it's, a good, it's a good metric to compare sh- to the share price that you're paying. Okay, so say if, for example, we refer to your company A and your share comes, EPS comes out at $10, but the stock price is $1, you know, does that mean it's a certain buy that's do do you know what I mean no no because you know uh you you could you could be paying there's there's, might be a reason that it's only one dollar so you know it might have a huge amount of debt and even though it has earnings of ten dollars a share that won't cover its debt repayments or just the interest payments on debt and so you can see that the company's spiraling into bankruptcy so this yeah. isn't a measure of the value of the company if you if you divide shares by uh, the no. profit. No, there's uh, there's no there's no magic bullet. There's no this one metric gives a perfectly no. accurate representation of value. If that was the case, then markets would be perfectly valued, and you know we wouldn't be doing anything. Yeah, well, it would be a lot shorter podcast. It would be <laughs> <laughs> episode one. Here's this metric. Just whip <laughs> out the it. calculator and do that. <laughs> but yeah, this is a very talked about performance metric. Yeah, um, so big time. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Speaking of shares and returns on shares, that flows in nicely to another ratio known as ROE. And do you want to give an explanation yeah, of what that so means? Yeah, so return on equity, ROE. It's yeah. another really common one that you see. Yeah. And essentially, it, it is a measure of how productive a business has been in that year. So what you do is you calculate, they call it shareholder equity, but what it, all it is is the company's assets minus the company's liabilities. So whatever, is, whatever that is left over is, is the, equi- the shareholder equity, and then you see from that equity base how much net profit it can make. So to give you an example, if, if our hypothetical company A has you know two hundred dollars in assets and a hundred dollars in liabilities, then its shareholder equity is a hundred dollars. 
because it's 200 minus 100. Yeah. And let's say it makes $150 off that $100 in shareholder equity, then its return on equity is 150%. Because from its base of $100 of equity that it could use to make a profit, it made 150%. Mm. Yeah. So, so earnings per share and then return on equity, can these be you looked at together? Because to the average Joe, they seem pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, they can be. So a good way of thinking about long-term investing and thinking about and trying to find companies that will compound and grow into the future is to look at uh, a company's historic return on equity yeah. to see a, a consistent earnings per share growth as well. Yes. If, if you're seeing those two indicators consistently growing and heading in the right direction, that's a really good indication that you've come across a company that will continue to grow into the future. Yes. And if you just take one of those metrics, so let's just say earnings per share is growing really well, but you're not looking at return on equity, there could be other reasons why the earnings per share is growing. You know, it could be taking out a lot of debt, it could be acquiring other companies. But if you look at EPS and return on equity, you can see that it's consistently growing and it's been productive with the assets that it has. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So just very briefly, can you tell us where we can find these two measures? Um, yeah, so you can do? find them on you can find them on most uh, finance websites, Yahoo Finance, Google Finance. Some, well, all annual reports will have earnings per share. Uh, I'm pretty sure they'll all have return on equity. Most of them will have return on equity as well. Yeah, and as yeah, you, you mentioned, if they don't, then it's very easy to get a calculator out and do it yourself. And it's probably worth saying the the sort of a good company or like an average to good company gets you know 10 to 15 percent return on equity a year yes anything above 20 percent is great killing it yeah yeah my my sort of figure is a right is roughly 15 percent i like to yeah. see that in a company all right so we've talked about earnings per share we've talked about debt to equity talked about ebit so the one the next one that is worth mentioning is known as the debt to equity ratio this is something that is um you know, no, another common measure. And this one's important because it gives us an understanding of the level of debt to the level of shareholder equity or the level of investment run by a company. Now, this is one that really needs, well, they all are, but this one needs to be taken with a grain of salt because there is, as we said, no magic number because most companies do need to borrow money at some point in time to you know, build and fund operations, continue to expand and grow. And so the debt to equity ratio um, is not necessarily, it doesn't highlight whether or not the debt is good or bad. So that, that's the main thing to consider with this. Yeah. It, it, well, it shows the relationship and the balance between debt to equity, but you need to go and do some further investigation as to if this debt is continuing to improve and grow the company or if it's due to poor, poor management essentially. So... Yeah, but even, you know, good debt one day can be bad debt another day. So, definitely, you know, it's not even as simple as saying, well, this is, you know, good debt because it could, it, when you get it, it could finance a great new idea 
but then interest rates could shoot up and it could all of a sudden be bad debt. Or what you thought was a good idea turns to... <laughs> yeah, junk. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah fun. Woolies would have taken a lot of debt to build masters, <laughs> yeah. which was a great idea yeah. at the time. <laughs> so fundamentally, the debt to equity ratio is a measure of the company's borrowings expressed as a percentage of shareholder equity, as I mentioned. So it divides total liabilities of the company by shareholders' equity. Now... A higher debt-to-equity ratio means essentially that more bank loans have been used to finance the company's endeavours rather than shareholders' equity. So essentially they have said, we need to raise money, we need money to uh, do whatever we need to, this project that could be awesome. So we have two options. One is to go to the bank and ask for money, or two is to get the shareholders to invest more and fund that. So this is what that uh, ratio tells us, how much of each and what is the um, percentage. So for example, if a company has a debt to equity ratio of say 27%, it means that 20%, 27% of the company has been financed by debt and the remaining 73% is financed by shareholders. So when investors are looking to understand um, a company's debt, they'll, they'll look at this measure. But as I said, all companies are different. As a side note, banks and financial institutions, you won't be able to find a debt to equity ratio online or on their balance sheets because they're actually the ones doing the lending. So it's subtracted or not, in, not, not included when looking at those sort of businesses. So if you're looking at Commonwealth, for example, you won't find a debt to equity ratio yeah. because it's not relevant to them. Yeah, well, it would be it would be tough to calculate as well because yeah. you know when that when we deposit money with those banks, technically they just owe us that yeah. money and then they loan it out. So technically, they'd be in debt to their deposit holders, and then yeah, anyway, it would, it would be confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is possible to have a debt to equity ratio above a hundred percent, which would be well, yeah, it is possible. Um, and as as I mentioned, just be aware that. A high debt-to-equity ratio doesn't necessarily mean it's trouble. So I'm thinking of a company, say, for example, Transurban, which we have mentioned in the podcast before, which needs huge amount of borrowings and debt to fund their infrastructure developments of highways and roads. Mm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that having billions and billions of dollars on their balance sheet is a bad thing for their company. So that's just an example. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah. All right, cool. So that's number four, debt to equity. And then one that I always sort of uh, heard when I was started getting into stocks is the PE ratio. Everyone's always talking about PE, PE. So Ren, do you want to give us a rundown of what is the PE ratio? 
Yeah, so PE, price to earnings ratio. So this is a measure of the share price relative to a company's earnings and it's expressed as a sort of multiple. So if we take our hypothetical company A and its share price is $10 and the company's earning $1 per share, then the price to earnings ratio is 10 because the earnings are 10 times the price. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this ties back in with your earnings per share that we discussed earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, The the reason we use this metric, it's, it's a really quick way of saying the value of a company because you know if if a company is has uh like 58 times price to earnings ratio like a2 milk does at the moment you can say it's quite expensive because i am paying for i'm essentially paying 58 for 58 years worth of earnings but you know if a company is has a price to earnings ratio of sort of five then you can say all right well it's quite cheap relative to the amount of money it's making at the time. Hmm. Yeah. So can what is a is is there is it good to be is it good to have a high EPS? Is it good to have a I mean sorry, price to earnings PE? Or do we want to find a companies that have a low PE or what should we be looking for? Look, it's it's that's kind of like a how long is a piece of string question. Yeah. In in general it's always better to have a lower price to earnings because uh, it's in theory cheaper, but the issue is, you know, companies that have great growth growth prospects generally that will be priced in, and so you'll have to pay a higher price to earnings. You'll have to pay a higher PE uh, to get in, and you know, companies with low PEs, there's reasons for that. You know, they might be in a lot of debt. They might not have good prospects going forward. There might be a competitor that is you know, strongly nipping at their heels. So just looking at PE alone doesn't really give the whole story. No. If you if you find a company with great growth prospects and sort of the market hasn't realized that yet and it has a low PE, that's that's sort of the the goal, I guess. PE is one of those ones that it's really important to look at in context, not only well, it's good to look at in context with companies in the same industry or sector because it helps to give you an understanding of okay so if the average PE for say um, companies that provide medical products for hospitals for example say there's six companies and they all have an average PE of 15 and one has a PE of 85 that helps to give that number some context but if you looked at it solely on its own you can't it's hard to get an understanding of what that actually means so they're, they're the five that we wanted to talk about today. Now, I know it was a lot of information. We'll chuck a quick blog post up that it, it re-explains those five. But just to go over them, it was EBITDA and net profit. So different ways of explaining how profitable a company is. Yeah. Number two was earnings per share. So that's taking how profitable a company was and dividing it by the amount of shares there are in the market. Yeah. Third one was return on equity, ROE, and that's about how productive a company is with, you know, the assets that it has that year. Yeah. Um, number four is debt to equity ratio. That's a good measure of how much debt the company has. Um, and obviously, the more debt 
the more worried you should be. Uh, and then, relatively, yes. Re- yeah, yeah. So that's that's a little bit too general. Debt is sometimes necessary and is sometimes important. It's how you um, manage the debt. Yeah, exactly. And then last but not least, price to earnings ratio. That's just a good, quick snapshot of how much you have to pay for a year's earnings of that company. Mm. Yeah, so they're, they're all terms that you'll see uh, in you know, financial news articles or annual reports. And they're just ones that are good to know to start doing your own research on different companies. And all very easy to find. As you said, Ren, you can get them on annual reports or very easily through Yahoo Finance, Google Finance or, or whatever it may be. So start getting your head around them and, and having a play with how they work for the company and then also in the broader context against other companies. And it's a good way to get a snapshot of how the company's going. Yeah. Awesome. So moving on, the final segment is one that we haven't done for a while, Stock of the Week. Now... Yeah, it's back. (laughs) Sorry, pardon me. (laughs) It's back. And in a slightly different format, I think that we took some time to think about this segment and we were not so much concerned, but we didn't want this segment to in any way reflect advice on what stocks to buy and we didn't want anyone going out there and putting all their money in what we have suggested because that's not why we're here. We're not here to tell anyone what to buy. So the way that we're going to do this segment now is stocks to watch and Ren and I have uh, obviously a list of stocks that are on our watch list and we play around with them week on week and, and like finding, trying to find different ones here and there. And so we thought rather than specifically discuss one stock, we will have an open discussion briefly in not too much detail about a number of stocks and where we sit and what we think of them. And then we'll choose one of them to add to our hypothetical portfolio that is still running in the background um, Mm. just to prove, well, just to show that, um, you know, consistency is key essentially. And that's the message we've been trying to fog. So, so. Yeah, like we're we're not trying we're not here trying to pick stocks. We're here trying to show that consistent investment in the market, even by two idiots such as ourselves, will pay off over time. We uh, hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, and like if you look at our hypothetical portfolio at the moment, you know, there's only one stock that has done really well. Uh, the rest are sort of some have gone down, some have flat, yeah. but overall the portfolio is up twelve percent. So you don't need to hit a winner every time. You just need to get yourself in the market, give yourself time, let those companies develop and grow. And, you know, even if you're a couple of idiots trying to do a podcast, (laughs) you still can make money. You don't have to be a professional sitting in front of the three screen trading desk for eight hours a day. Well, as you said, buy and hold, baby. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Set and forget. Yeah, that's it. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, not to flog a dead horse, I'll start. And I think they these have always been on my watch list for various reasons, but have certainly uh, shot to the top just because they've had some phenomenal growth over the last, well, for one of them since the start of the year and for the other over definitely over the last month, I think it's gone up um, 30 odd percent. So the first one is um, Bellamy's Ren, and we've discussed this, yeah. I think, on on and on and on for various <laughs> reasons. But as I said, it's gone up, I think, about 30% in the last month. And that's because recently, I think it was late last week, 
uh, they gave a guidance update, which means that they've come to the market to say that what we originally told you guys we would be earning has now increased and in keeping with regulation, we need to tell the market about it. And so they said that when they, what they originally thought would be five to 15% um, revenue growth or EBIT growth, as they said, I think they've now increased to 20 or 25%. So the, the price shot up. So, I mean, it's now $10 or 10, 10 plus, I'm pretty sure, coming from a $3 base only a matter of four or five months ago. And for the listeners that have stuck with us since episode one, they would know that I bought this stock at $5, it went to 15, it fell through the floor to $3. I then sold it at about $5, made my made a flat. <laughs> I didn't make nice. any money from it. So the lesson to learn is that it fell, fell through the floor at $3 and you kept the stock, didn't you, Ren? You were also yep. you're also in it. You've kept the stock, so you're now back up in 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 the black. Yeah, um, I started not, kicking myself. Not to <laughs> not to rub salt in your wounds. Yeah, please don't. But I think it, just for our listeners out there, it is a classic example of people uh, markets react too strongly, yes. but in both ways. Definitely. So you know, Bellamy's was selling into China, well, uh, through this sort of grey market. Uh, and the price skyrocketed up because, you know, the people heard China. And then the Chinese government started to regulate this grey market and that restricted Bellamy's access to Chinese markets and people just flat out panicked and it dropped from, you know, $15 to $3. Mm. But in both cases, it was an overreaction. I know. Like, the Chinese demand didn't change. No. And, you know, over time, these companies will be able to work ways to satisfy that demand yeah i'm um, uh, this this whole thing for me has actually been a really good lesson and something that i'll definitely re- reflect on going into the future and you know everything from you know withdrawing the emotion of seeing your stocks go from 15 to three dollars and actually taking a step back and or not even looking at the stocks really that that was my first mistake um, yeah, and, yeah, and I should have just stayed in the market because yeah, look at them now killing it. However, yeah. I'm not saying that this is one that I will buy back into at the moment. I'm 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 not sure. Um, it's trading at a very high, as we mentioned, price to earnings ratio. And look, there's there's still risk. Like the Chinese government may crack down on Bellamy's again and may restrict them. You know, like it can. It, sometimes those decisions can be quite arbitrary. Um, yeah. in terms of what can be sold into China and what can't be. Yeah. But look, at the end of the day, even if they can't keep selling into China, you know they're they're an in-demand brand. Um, well, 70, there are other markets. I think seventy-five or eighty percent of their business is, is domestic anyway. So yeah, so like obviously China would be a blow and the share price would suffer. But you know, uh, I'm I'm just gonna just buy it. And just never look at it, and yeah. then when I retire, hopefully it's gone up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm kicking myself. Lesson learned. So yeah. another one that you've also harped on about for a while now, and for very good reason at the moment, Ren, is on uh, has appeared on my watch list again because I've been watching it go up and up and up. Is A2 Milk? Um, yeah, <laughs> and you've absolutely smashed it with this one. Um, made a nice little profit. Yeah. So it's my it's my very first ten bagger, okay. which is when it's gone up ten times. Yeah, nice. More than yeah. now. Yeah. But this is a good one to highlight price to earnings ratio because 
I did a bit of evaluation on it and this is something I might talk about next episode in detail, but my valuation for this one came out at roughly $2, $2.20. Now, as I said, this is very open to debate and I'm not sure. I think that's a little undervalued to be honest, but um, it's trading at $7, I think, or $6.98 or something. And this stock has just been running like wildfire. And I have a feeling that it's one of those stocks that is will be the 2017 darling of the market. Everyone's jumping on board at the moment and it's been, I mean, for good reason, it keeps coming out with higher and higher profits and it's expanding into Asian markets and it's in Europe and it's in the States. But I mean, there's some issues around how they're going to get um, brand control over there. But it's on my watch list just because I've <laughs> looked at it so many times and seen it go up. It would be a momentum buy for me because it's definitely, I think, overvalued and might have a correction. Who knows? I, yeah. I mean, uh, it is definitely, it's crazily valued. Yeah. Like to, so we were talking about price to earnings ratio before. It's trading at something like 58 times earnings. Which is um, huge. Yeah, which, and you know, the industry standard is sort of 15 to 20. Yeah. So it, that gives you an idea of yeah. in, how much hope investors have about the China story, really. And... You know, people are investing with, with the expectation that A2 Milk sells very well in China mm. um, and some other export markets. And that's the only real reason that you could justify paying the current price for A2 Milk. Well, that's the thing. That's the one of the risks that you, you run when you buy into a stock like this that's running so fast because, and, 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 and at such high price to earnings ratios that... The, the minute that they don't meet expectations, market expectations, and it could be a, a miss of expectations of say, I don't know, $500,000, like nothing, then it's, it's probably going to be one of those cases where they, it gets punished in terms of stock price. So buyer beware for, for this one. Yeah, definitely. Mm. All right. Do you have any to throw out there? Randy? Yeah. So there's a couple of stocks that I've been looking at uh, this week. One that fascinates me is called Altium. I don't. I didn't actually write down its stock ticker, but it's. I'm sure it would be easy to Google. Yeah. But what they do? So they create software, uh, design software for printed circuit boards. Now, um, printed circuit boards are the backbone of electronics, um, computers, all the like. And I was looking at them because it's a good sort of a good way to benefit off the Internet of Things. Okay. So I'm sure people have heard about you know smart homes that are coming coming in and they're going to be the next big thing, you know, your fridge will be connected to the internet and your washing machine will talk to you and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of, um, you know, Google Google Home and Amazon Alexa, Apple might have one as well. But, you know, they're the sort of, they're going to be the control pieces for all of your internet of things connected home devices. So, yeah. you know, you'll, you'll tell Amazon or Amazon Alexa, turn the lights on and your Internet of Things connected lights will turn on. The backbone of all of that infrastructure is these printed circuit boards. Uh, and Altium uh, a market leader in the software for to, de- to design these circuit boards. So they, they fascinate me for that reason. And that look, they've, they've been a, a strong growing company recently. Um, so from some of the metrics that we talked about before, their price to, price to earnings ratio is 38 so it's pretty expensive okay um just just looking at that their debt to equity they actually have no debt which is a great sign for a business it is 
Their return on equity last year was 20%, so that's that's good. And their earnings per share is 56 cents. What are they trading at at the moment? Uh, it's about $11 something. Okay. So with the with the price to earnings, you they're... We see this is where it gets confusing, and this is why you can't just look at their metrics. So their price to equ- their price to earnings is officially twenty, yeah. but their price to earnings without non-recurring items is thirty-eight. So oh, I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah, yeah, I was looking at a website and it had it listed. So essentially, that means that you know there were one-off items in financial year twenty seventeen that improved their price to earnings, so bumped up their earnings a lot, but those, whatever that was, won't be reoccurring going forward. And so that bumps out the price-to-earnings ratio. So that's something you've got to look for. What are some of the risks for this company? Do they have any major competitors, do you know? Yeah, look, there are a bunch of competitors out there. Um, I One of the risks that I was thinking about also was that how much of this will be automated? Like, yeah. why do... Why, where, at what point will humans not need to design these circuit boards? Yeah. But look, that's probably further down the line. The look, the biggest risk at the moment is just they're quite, they're they're pretty expensive for for their current earnings. But look, they they have great growth prospects. They they have an aim to be to have. So they just they just cracked a hundred million dollars in revenue, okay. uh, and they they have an aim to crack two hundred million dollars in the next five years, I think it was, or three years. Five years. Yeah, they're um they're pretty ambitious, as all Silicon Valley companies should be, I guess. Mm. But yeah, look, that that was one that really interests me. So is um, it an Australian stock? Yeah, it's an Australian stock, um, but they've moved to Silicon Valley. Play with, um, play with the big dogs. Yeah, but they you know they sell worldwide. Yeah right. Yeah, so that that was one that interests me. Nice. It's on my watch list. If it if it drops in price a little bit, uh, it might be something that I look to buy. But at this stage, it's probably a little bit too expensive. Yeah, quick calculation based off earnings per share, etc. I've come up with eight ninety six. Okay, yeah. that was quick. Yeah, very quick. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Mate, I'm um, speedy fingers on the calculator over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of. Uh, uh, I mean, Internet of Things, I was sitting on the balcony yesterday and um, opposite our place is a bunch of apartments and I heard a lady at the top of the apartment yell from her balcony, Google, turn it off. <laughs> and then the music stopped. I was like, there you go. It's happening. It's around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, shit. What we've got to do, though, is we've got to decide on one to put in the portfolio. Well, I mean, based on what we've discussed, I don't think Bellamy's or A2 Milk would be a good idea at the moment. Um, okay. So, well, I... Through through a process of elimination, <laughs> it leaves Altium. Yeah, Altium, I guess. Yeah, it's a little bit expensive. We just talked about, but <laughs> not as. Ex- oh well. I'm I'm more confident with it than um than Balamis A2 Milk. I'm also Fair a lot enough. more interested in it. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. it is interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll chuck that one in, and hopefully, the CEO's prediction of two hundred million dollars <laughs> it comes true. Pays off. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we've we're going through a bit of a website pivot at the moment and I don't think that our um, stocks of the week uh, portfolio is visible online but I'll make sure that we get that up in the next um, few days for everyone to refer back to so yeah that's a promise to you guys there you go a Bryce Lesky promise <laughs> they're yeah, rare these first days first one of the podcast <laughs> <laughs> okay so in in summation we've discussed um, obviously what we learned this week but then pardon the jargon we went through five investing terms that 
are relevant and important when looking at a company and they're very easy to find online and through uh, company reports, annual reports, that sort of stuff. Uh, we looked at EBIT, earnings per share, return on equity, debt to equity ratio and price per earnings and then wrapped up with the stocks to stocks on our watch. So I hope you guys learned um, some stuff through this episode and as we said at the start, we're now on YouTube, so check us out. Um, yeah, we're, we're YouTube official, guys. We are. We're on. We're everywhere now. You can't, you can't <laughs> yeah. escape it. Yeah. And Netflix miniseries coming next. <laughs> we're on. And Ren is going to be flicking out uh, the Equity Mates Thought Starters on Sunday or Monday, Ren? Sorry. Uh, mon- Monday. Monday morning. Yeah. Fresh, Make sure fresh at 5, you- 5 a.m. Yeah, That's yeah. Promise. Make sure you sign up um, because we've got some cracking articles coming out this week, including uh, the the Church of Scientology twist on the oh, J.P. Morgan Chase story that I told this game morning. Game changer! I mean, I'm looking earlier, forward yeah. to this one. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely sign up because this is going to be a very valuable tool for you guys, I think, and something that we're going to. Um, put a lot of time and energy in because uh, we think it's going to be of great benefit to you guys. So sign up through our website or uh, through our Facebook page and don't miss it. Yeah, every Monday, something that will keep you going through the week. So yeah, great to have you for episode 20. Um, enjoy your weekends. Well, by the time you're probably listening to this, you've already had it, but you enjoy your weekend, Ren. Um, Thanks, mate. You too. And uh, we'll talk to you next episode. Can't wait. Equity out. (laughs) (laughs) Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.